Hello, welcome to How to Write a Novel. So uh, I've got some other episodes I recorded that, uh, you know, I recorded before the whole crazy-ass pandemic happened. So, uh, and they're just kind of about general topics anyway. So, you know, those can wait. No big hurry to put those out. It's amazing how quickly everything feels different or weird or whatever. Like, just now that, uh, just how shockingly fast everything went into lockdown and social distancing and stuff that even, uh, I don't know, I was just watching an anime at my cousin's house, an anime episode, and just people are interacting normally and just being in a room full of people. And it's like, what are you guys doing? Like, it feels weird even in TV shows that people are acting like that, <laughs> you know? It's like, well, this is just the new rule now. It's the new paradigm of the world. And these people aren't following it, which, I mean, is nonsense, of course. Why would they? I mean, why would, why would TV from the past transform? but it feels weird in my dumb monkey brain. It's kind of impressive though. I mean, the way the whole world has, I mean, I guess it's because we've got this globalized world and so uh, much ease of travel and stuff that we're kind of in this situation. But it's cool too, just in the internet age, just that, uh, I mean, obviously there's a lot of people that aren't doing stuff right. And you see stories all the time of like, people just kind of being irresponsible and spreading around pandemic-y shit. But generally speaking, the world kind of got their shit together. It's kind of crazy to see, like, that it's kind of neat that we're all unified in that way of, like, all right, this is a weird situation. There's really nothing we can do but wait for it to, to hopefully pass. Here's the stuff we should be doing. And generally, people are doing that stuff everywhere. <laughs> you know, it's weird. We really are connected in a way that we certainly were not before the internet and before cell phones and stuff. And yeah, definitely, this is for sure a dumb little personal life lesson to me, is just... I couldn't be happier that I'm in New Brunswick. <laughs> like, all my complaining and all my, like, ah, this fucking place. But man, it's better to be here. It's so much less stressful and so much less worrisome. And I mean, like, yeah, the numbers keep going up. I think we're up to, but like here it's still, it's so low. I think we have 60 cases. Although the next province over, Quebec, I don't know what the fuck's happening there, but they're psycho. They're like the worst province in the country by double. They're double Ontario. It's nuts. But I think only, you know, like eight or 10 deaths, like, and yeah, it's a sad story, but like, you know, I looked up Quebec specifically because I'm like, what is happening there? It's so weird. Like they have Montreal and they have Quebec City, but generally speaking, Quebec is big and isolated. You know, it's like rural communities of people that are like hardcore French. There's like people in Quebec that can't really speak English. It doesn't seem like the kind of place where this would spread a lot unless this is all just those big cities. So I looked into it a bit and I mean, there's no real answers to be found about what happened. But like, for instance, their first deaths were like, you know, a lady in her 80s who had respiratory problems. And then the next three were all other old people that lived with that first old person. Like, this is really a bummer of a fucking virus because it really is like, hey, are you a kid? Are you an old person? Do you have asthma? See you later. <laughs> it's like, man, what a kick in the kick in the balls, you know? I mean, young people die too, but overwhelmingly, it seems like, I don't know, I'm just, I'm not worried. If I got it, I don't, I'm not worried for myself, you know? And I think that's the situation most people are in. We're not necessarily worried about ourselves, but if, if we were the asshole that spread it to someone else, like, yeah. 
But again, yeah, just being here in New Brunswick, it's just easy because we're just spread out and isolated and we're the smallest, dumbest little... Are we the smallest province? I don't know, maybe PEI is smaller. But we're the small little forgotten province that's all spread out and socially isolated anyway. We're still taking all the precautions and somehow the cases do keep creeping in and I don't know how and I don't know from where, but... But it's just like... It's so much less worry. Like I said this last time, but it's even more so as the weeks go on. It's like, man, I would be so much more stressed out if I was in Toronto or I was in Vancouver or Montreal or anywhere. Here, like, just for my own fucking mental well-being. I mean, I don't pay a ton of attention to the news in general. I felt that way since I was a kid. My dad was obsessed with the news. He would watch the news every day. And even when I was, like, 10 years old, I'm just like... What is this for? Like, even back then, I found it so awful of, like, this is just the bad stuff that's happening. This is nothing but horror stories. Why are you watching this? And just taking my own dad, <laughs> sorry to disrespect you, dad, but taking my own dad is just the example. I'm like, what is this fucking guy learning from watching the news every day? What is he participating in? How is his knowing about every little bad thing that's happening how is that helping the world? How is that helping himself? How is that helping his community? How is that doing anything except being a reality show of the horrors of the world, you know? Like, I just didn't buy it. I just, I don't buy that news junkies are actually helping anything. I think they're just feeding their own weird little media addictions, and I've always felt that way my whole goddamn life. And I've only felt that more with the advent of the internet and checking things on your cell phone all the time, and yada, yada, yada. And like, yeah, just last night I was looking up like the numbers of this thing through all the different countries, and it's just like a nightmare. It's terrifying. It just feels so awful. <laughs> but on the other hand, if I was in a big city, it's like, yeah, I do kind of think maybe it's more important than to be aware of what's going on more so that you do take it seriously and you don't fuck around. Where that's another bonus to being in New Brunswick, Canada is here, I feel like I can really get away with not paying attention to the news as much because it just isn't that important here yet. Things could still go crazy, but right now, like, being super aware of what's happening in the media and the specifics of what's going on with the coronavirus, it just stresses out yourself. <laughs> it's, there's nothing I could do here. Man, just a quick divergence about that media stuff. Like, I remember, because, you know, just being from this dumb small town, I had my sense of the news, but even then it was mainly just, you know, the local news and the national news and whatever. But when I got to Vancouver, I started noticing that about what was on the, the front page of the newspaper every day. Because, you know, it would be the little boxes where you could buy the newspaper, which don't really exist here. And yeah, just every day the headline was something terrible. And if nothing terrible happened in Vancouver, they'd go find something terrible that happened in Surrey. And if nothing horrible happened in Surrey, they'd go find something horrible that happened in Abbotsford or Nanaimo or something. And if they couldn't find something terrible that happened in the whole province, then they'd jump over to Calgary. And it's like, dude, like it just seemed so transparent to me. It's like, this is not the news. You know, I think Bill Hicks had a thing about that. That objective term, the news, is not what this is. This is the bad news. <laughs> this is the scary news, you know? This is, it's, it's just, 
Maybe it's irresponsible to ignore the media, but I think it's irresponsible to spend too much time paying attention to the media. <laughs> and I'm just glad that we got alternatives now. Yeah, oh geez, and when I moved to the States, fuck, if I thought Canadian news was a horror story, fucking shit, man. The daily news in the tri-state area is literally RoboCop shit. It's literally fucking everyone has been shot and police down and drug house raided. All these people got killed. It was every day. It's like, holy fuck. Horrifying. So yeah, this is a great place to be because it's isolated. So far, everything is still quite calm. And I can afford to just turtle. I can afford to just not pay attention. And it's okay. I'm not, I'm not being completely irresponsible by putting my head in the sand. So my preferred lifestyle of ignoring the shit out of world events... I can still sort of do. So anyway, that's the world report. I'm sure whatever's happening where you are, almost literally anywhere you might be, it's probably way crazier <laughs> than what's happening here. I don't have much really to say on that front. So let's talk about writing a little bit since this is a writing podcast. Let's ignore the problems of the world and just get into my little dumb idiosyncratic life of just how lockdown has kind of affected my uh, routine. Because my routine, ever since I started this podcast a couple of years ago, and really I established this routine even a couple of years before that when I wrote the nonfiction book that I wrote, is really just, uh, I've said before that I don't, like writing at home. I don't even like being at home really for long stretches. I just get stir crazy and I feel well, just I don't like it. So yeah, that's another reason why I'm glad that, I mean, right now I'm outside. I think in the last, I've been here about 90 minutes, two people walked by about 45 minutes ago and that's it. And I'm like downtown Fredericton. I'm like right behind like the fucking governor's house. And there's still just nobody here, you know, like, like that too, I guess, is uh, I'm not keeping myself particularly inside. I go outside for walks every day still. And yeah, it's just, it's, it doesn't feel like a socially irresponsible thing to do because there really is just nobody here. It's fine, you know, <laughs> it's easy to avoid the crowds. You see a person, you can just go a different way. So it hasn't affected my day-to-day -day that much in that sense. I'm not, I'm not locked down. I'm not stuck inside all day. And that's a good thing because, yeah, like I've said, uh, writing inside, I just don't like it. I don't know what it is. It's very hard to kind of pinpoint the feeling, but it just feels like motion sickness. Or it feels like it just feels weird. I don't feel comfortable writing at home. I just want to go out into the world. So I would just go out in the world and just go for a walk to a coffee shop and that's where I do all my writing. I just make sure every day that I do that, hopefully at least one time and if I can do more, that's great. And it's such a good strategy for me, like it worked so well that it was like ironclad to the point that it helped me be able to travel. Like I think it's the secret sauce to uh, going to Amsterdam and Japan last year getting over that hump of like having a hard time traveling and stuff is because 
Like the first time I traveled to Amsterdam and I didn't last long and I'm like, oh, I feel all fucked up. I got to come home because it was like crazy the amount of pressure I put on myself. I was getting a little tired of Vancouver. I'd already quit my job in Vancouver. So I was like, you know what? Instead of just visiting Amsterdam with my friend, I'm going to let my lease expire and I'm going to move there and I'm going to make this my new life is traveling Europe. And it was so much stress and so much pressure that I came home after like three weeks. I'm like, whoa, I did not think that through. That didn't go well. But this last time it went way better because basically I was looking at traveling as an extension of this writing circuit that I've already been doing. It's like, okay, I'm in Vancouver. Every day I get up, I go to a coffee shop, I do writing. Then when I was in Montreal, I would get up and go to a coffee shop and do writing. And then in Toronto, get up, go to a coffee shop and do writing. So just, just transplant that idea. In Amsterdam, that's what I did. I went to Starbucks in Amsterdam, I did writing. In Japan, that's what I did. I went to Starbucks in Japan, or Tully's or some other places, but there's always a Starbucks. And I did writing, and it's like all the traveling and the stuff I did while I was there was like a nice bonus, but the core of it was that same routine, that same loop of like, all right, I've got my habit down. This is how I'm getting writing done. This is how I'm progressing on this great big complicated long-term goal that I want to do and I got so good at it and so comfortable with it that I was able to transplant it to other places you know like if that's what I'm doing every day I'm getting up going for a little constitutional sitting at a coffee shop doing some writing it's not that tough to do it in a different country and it took a lot of the pressure off of that second attempt at traveling the world because, yeah, like I was saying, if I, if I see things in Amsterdam, if I do things, that's great. If I see stuff in Japan and I do things, that's great. But if I don't, that's also great. Doesn't matter. I'm really only there to keep doing my writing grind and keep doing my writing loop. And anything else is just a bonus. And it almost, like, insulated me. Of, like, it's okay if I go there and I just be a weird introvert. It's okay if I don't talk to a lot of people. It's okay if I don't see a lot of stuff. It's okay if I don't quote unquote do things. Things will happen, I'll see things, I'll absorb information, I'll still have cool experiences, but I'm really just there to write. And since I'm already a weird Airbnb guy, just throwing a little flight in here and there in between, it wasn't even particularly more expensive than how my life was before. But this has been my routine for years now, just years. And anytime I try to write at home, I just, I just hate the feeling. You know, it's a real struggle. I don't get much done. I don't enjoy it. If that was how, what I had to do to be a writer was just write at home, I just, I wouldn't be a writer, I don't think. <laughs> it just, maybe I could learn to get over that hump, but I don't know, it's just not comfortable to me. It's the difference between getting up, going to a coffee shop, buying a coffee, and doing writing is like fun and exciting, especially if you go to a new neighborhood and find a new coffee shop and do a little exploring, as opposed to just sitting at home and doing it where it's just blah. It's just like, I, I don't like this. I just hate this. Blah. So I was having some trouble with that in general here in my hometown, just because there aren't that many coffee shops anyway. There's a tiny little handful. So I'm just continually going to the same places in the same very small loop and not really seeing anything new. And, it's just like, okay, but whatever, I'm making it work. 
But yeah, after the lockdown shit, I mean, now everything is closed here. I think I said in the last episode, it's like, oh, they're thinking about shutting down the malls and whatever. We're fully down now. Everything is shut down. Food stores are open. Uh, my parents' law office is still open because I guess anything that uh, has to do with provincial government stuff, they do real estate law. That stuff's still going. But yeah, now that all this stuff's closed, I've still been going out for my little fucking walk, go to the park, go for a little walk around the park. But it's been cold and there's nowhere to stop. There's nothing, you know, grocery stores and liquor stores. That's a, a minor controversy is that the liquor stores are still open in Canada. But the uh, idea is that all the people that are alcohol dependent will just start uh, cramming up the system and the hospitals and stuff with... Uh, alcohol withdrawal <laughs> like that's not worth it it's better to keep the liquor stores open and yeah it must be weird being a clerk right now god bless anyone who's clerking you know i mean obviously if you're a doctor and a nurse that's also that's way more dangerous and crazy and god bless you for doing that shit but even just being a clerk right now must be very uncomfortable and <laughs> just like yeesh just dealing with fuck nuts all day. Somebody, somebody's got it. You know, that's the thing is these numbers just keep going up all over the place. Even here, somebody's got it. We had like two cases and then eight cases and then 30 cases and then 80 cases. And it's like, somebody's got it. What's happening? Someone out there has got it. And these poor clerks have to deal with these people all day. Like, ugh, must be very stressful. So the point is though, again, like my little stupid productivity problems matter in the face of a global pandemic, but since this is my writing podcast about writing, you know, fuck it. Writing has been very tough to do because if I go outside, it's too cold to do anything outside. There's nowhere inside to stop anymore. So I can go bundle up and go outside for a walk, but the only place I can write is at home. And it's made my, you know, work every day, make sure you work every day. Doesn't matter if it's only a little, do something every day. That's been becoming very spotty. Like I can't even, I can't specifically say how many days I've missed, but I mean, it's, it's a ton. It's a bunch, you know? Like I'll just miss a day and kind of not even notice almost. Or, or my two stories I'm working on, it'll be like I'll work on one, but not the other. So it's like this weird checkerboard pattern. It's like, okay, today I worked on both. Then the next day I only worked on one. Then the next day I didn't work on any. And then the next day I worked on the other one that I didn't work on the first time. And then the next one a day I work on both. That's basically the rough pattern. So it's real spotty, a lot of time missing. And it's like, God damn, I gotta get my shit together. Like, why is it so hard for me to write at home? Why is it so tough? But it just is, I hate it. I hate the feeling. I don't really like doing any kind of work at home. I just don't, I don't know why. But I can at least do podcast editing and stuff more successfully at home. Writing is just, it feels like the, the most terrible weight. I just hate it. But luckily, this might not last because the weather's crazy around here and it really changes a lot, but it's been way warmer lately. So right now I'm at this bench overlooking the river in my hometown behind the governor's mansion, which looks a lot like the governor's mansion for Monkey Island. It's kind of cool. But I just sat here on this bench and did some writing and it's the same exact feeling that I've chronicled millions of times and that that book The War of Art is all about is this this pressure, this stress of like yeah, God, writing, like I'm out of the loop now, I'm out of the habit 
but I gotta do it. Oh, I gotta make myself do it. But there's that feeling of resistance that I just don't want to do it. And then when I sat down and opened up my little writing phone, like, like things have fallen apart to the point that it was at like 5% battery. I'm like, man, I haven't even got this thing properly charged. I am fucking up. But almost as soon as I sit down on this bench and it's warm enough today to take off my gloves and actually do some writing on my phone, almost immediately I felt way better. I got into it, I got kind of excited. I'm like, oh yeah, like, oh man. It just feels so much better to make some progress. Even again, if it's just a little bit. I didn't do a ton today. I worked on my main novel for like 10 minutes and my side little story for like four minutes. <laughs> Probably more, maybe 15 minutes on that first novel. I guess I did do a pretty good little chunk of stuff. But it's, uh, I guess it's just because I've I've made this such a big deal in my own head. Writing this novel. I want to write a novel. I made this whole fucking stupid podcast about it because this is how much I give a fuck and how much I want to do it after all these years of not quite making it. So it just feels so stressful once I've fallen off and it's like, oh no, I'm all guilty and like, oh, I haven't, I didn't do anything yesterday. Now I just gotta, oh, it's just like, what, what if I just keep putting it off? What if I just keep denying this whole situation and ignoring it? And it all just is just this miasma of bad feelings. But then as soon as I sit down and start working and start moving forward, it's like, oh God, that feels better. Oh man, that feels better. Thank God I did that. And thank God the weather is better. Because I can make this work. This is no problem. Coming and sitting on a bench and doing writing, it doesn't have to be in a coffee shop. A lot of times in Vancouver, because they have tons of uh, awesome like old growth woods and stuff. So a lot of times it would just be me sitting on a big rock somewhere doing some writing. But yeah, in the harsh winter time, that just doesn't work around here. So I was really just kind of stuck, really just kind of trapped. And I guess there's, there's no real point to this. I just want to just continue to report. That's all this podcast is. Continue to report the process. Continue to report how it's going. And yeah, it was tough being stuck with no coffee shops to go to, but the weather way too cold to do writing outside. All I got is my little fucking room at home, and it's just, it wasn't working. It was not working. I have not figured out a way to make that work, to consistently work every day when I got to do it from home. But I just never thought I'd ever have to. I mean, I've literally, again, like, traveled the world, and there's always a Starbucks waiting for me. So it's like, I got this, this routine, and it's working, and it's going to keep working forever. It's going to keep working till the day I die, so let's just keep doing it, because it's going well. I did not expect a global virus pandemic. I did not see that coming. I did not expect every coffee shop on the fucking earth to be closed. <laughs> you know? I did not. So I mean, when you look at it that way, when you look at the enormity of what's happening right now, how fucking insane this is that the earth is closed right now, I didn't do that bad, you know? My productivity got worse probably half as good, you know? I've lost 50% productivity. But really, that could be a lot worse, all things considered, considering the craziness of this situation. But yeah, while the weather's good, oof, I'm saved, I'm rescued again. But yeah, I don't know, if the weather gets bad again, maybe I finally gotta look into like this at-home thing. Like, what can I do about that? Like a lot of people, they say they, because uh, what I have been doing when I do get writing done at home 
it tends to be just laying in bed. I'll put on some music and do a little writing. Laying in bed. But that can't be the best method for me because I hate combining those worlds so much. Maybe if I could just set up a little desk in the corner or something, you know, just like a place, a specific area that I only go to to write. Maybe that would help. So if the weather gets bad again, or if we have another horrifying pandemic next year, or something, I guess maybe I'll just have to look into that more and see what I can do. But anyway, that's the report for now. Just thought I would record that. Oh yeah, so also, if you've been listening to this podcast since the start, uh, a lot of those early episodes I did on this obscure beach that I found in Vancouver where there were very rarely people around. And the other big project I was doing at the same time is my first book, my uh, nonfiction book about the video game The Last of Us that I keep mentioning. I was recording an audiobook of that, and it was a ton of work, and I recorded a big bunch, but then I never put those things out. It's the same story as always of like, as long as I work on something each day, a little bit each day, eventually they get done, but if I don't, then they never get done. You know, it's that simple. And I just wasn't working on that audiobook each day. I recorded the audio each day, I worked hard on that. But once I had the audio recorded, all the actual editing, and I'm making YouTube versions with video, it's a lot of work, and I just overwhelmed myself, and I just didn't do it. <laughs> so instead, I had the same old story that I've said a million times, but it's like, okay, if, if you can't work on something every day, if it just seems like too big of a task, and it's too much of a mental burden for your brain to deal with, then you got to break it down. So I broke it down to to what is getting in the way of me doing this is that I've got too many things on the go, too many things I'm working on. So instead I focused on that Roger Swan documentary, which I finished a few months ago now, I guess. And I'm glad to report has like been pretty successful in the sphere of, obviously Roger Swan was a fairly obscure YouTuber. He died 10 years ago, but that video has got like 800 views right now. And I think that's just cool to me. That's great. Like that I hit that amount. That's not like a lot of views by YouTube standards, but that's like 800 people that give a fuck, that know who this guy was and that care. And I got like a very high watch time. All thumbs ups, lots of nice comments, you know? Oh, I think I mentioned too, there was a guy who uh, was trying to get, get that documentary submitted to a film festival that he's connected to. And he did try and uh, they, uh, it uh, didn't work for them possibly because it's too obscure of uh, a subject, but I think probably it had a lot to do with like, that thing looks fine on a laptop or on a phone, but I watched it on my uh, cousin's big TV. And just because all the source footage is like 360p or 480p, and they're just old hyper-compressed YouTube videos, it does not upscale well. It would need to be like remastered. It really looks rough, <laughs> it's just too old. But anyway, it's cool that he tried, you know? And if I ever make it to uh, northern Japan, I got a standing invite to uh, be shown around by this dude. So I'd say that really that documentary went good. Went as good as I could have hoped that it would. But once I got that done, then I got back on working on the audio-visual version of my Last of Us book. And I finally put out the first 90-minute chunk. So yeah, if you've been listening since the start and you remember me talking about that fucking project, it's finally out now. Uh, it's probably only interesting if you're into video games, 
Other than that, it's probably a little hard to follow. I deliberately wrote that book for video game nerds. I really, I never like it in video game books when they over explain everything. Well, Halo is a game on the fucking Xbox that stars the Master Chief. Like, everyone knows. Everyone who's reading this fucking knows. I hate when books do that. So I didn't do that, maybe to a fault. So I'd only recommend it if you're into video games. But if you go to KeithCourage.com, just where that book is, because you could always download it there for free, there's now two new links. There's audiobook and YouTube. I recommend the YouTube version. So go check that out if you would like to. And yeah, that thing, as of this recording, it's only at like a hundred views. Again, everyone likes it who's seen it. I don't know how to, I'm so not good at promoting. I'm absolutely like the art side of stuff, not the business side. I respect that side, that's interesting to me, but I'm not good at it and I don't have an aptitude for it. And I don't know how to promote myself. Like I don't know how to get more people to see that thing. But a lot of it I find is just time spent. Like I've talked about that before too with like my, uh, Patrice O'Neill YouTube thing. Patrice O'Neill Tremendous. It's got a fuck ton of views and I didn't do anything. I just let it sit on YouTube for five or six years, you know, and it's just got a load. And you never know like when something's gonna catch on. I made this video last year called Heavy Metal, the 1981 cartoon explained. That's from an old podcast me and my friends made where we watched Heavy Metal three times in a day and just did a podcast about it. So I turned it into this YouTube video and it's been sitting on YouTube for like a year. And it went crazy this week in specific. Like the little stats page on YouTube, like how many views has it gotten in the last 48 hours? It got like 2000 views in the last two days. It's like, what the fuck is going on? But you just don't know what's gonna catch on. And a lot of it is just waiting and hoping that the algorithm connects it to other stuff of the same topic. And you know, if you get thumbs ups and you get comments, I think it helps a lot. It's like helps the algorithm know that this is an actual thing and it's not just some shit that somebody uploaded to YouTube. But I guess that's my plan with this Last of Us YouTube series is similar, is just keep putting them out, try to promote them when I can, but it's probably just gonna take time and hopefully in time it catches on and the numbers start going up. As of now though, the numbers are dog shit, so feel free to go check that out if you're interested. That's all I have to ramble about for now. So yeah, like I said, I got a couple other episodes I've already recorded. One is about this, the romance story I came up with when I was stranded in the airport in Moscow. Got a podcast where I get a little more in depth about how that's been going. And then I got one that's just like not about anything to do with writing. It's just about getting over my own anxiety about going to see a doctor about my bad shoulder. <laughs> it's like, here's what I did to try to get over my anxiety. So you can look forward to those sometime in the future. But it's ironic, I finally got through the barrier and all the hurdles and got a little doctor's note that I can go. I basically, I found out my shoulder, I do have 8% scoliosis, so it's not bad enough that you would need surgery, but there's Nothing else you can really do besides just generalized rehab. But I never did get to go see a rehab person because immediately the world was plunged into darkness and chaos. But anyway, those are coming. Those are on the horizon. For Song of the Day, let's listen to The Cardigans. So you might know The Cardigans from their 90s song Love Fool. It was, you know, catchy little ditty, but whatever. I knew one guy in high school who he's like, yeah, you know, I got that Cardigans album and, and it's like kind of good. 
And even though back in high school, you know, it was mostly just like listening to Nine Inch Nails and Corn, I still listened to like Tori Amos and Julian Hatfield and the Lemonheads and stuff. So I kind of like always put that aside in my brain of like, oh, that guy Mark I know, he said the cardigans are kind of good, huh? But I never really thought about it much. And then uh, there's this dude, Todd in the Shadows. He does this YouTube series called One Hit Wonderland that I couldn't recommend more. It's awesome. He like takes a one hit wonder song and he's like, all right, how did the band get to this point? And then what happened afterward? Like how come there were no other hits? What's the story? And he did one on the Cardigans, which uh, he said barely to him, it, it didn't even really count because they have that other awesome song, uh, My Favorite Game, which is a super great, cool song. And he's like, come on, that's kind of a hit, right? That's close enough to a hit. But he had so many requests to do the cardigans. He's like, all right, I'll do the cardigans. And in his dissection of that band, he's like, geez, you know, this band is good. It's so weird. Like, they're cool and neat and I have all these great songs. But they just had that one big song that eclipsed everything. Which is, that is such a weird situation. It's like that also with that band Nada Surf. They had the song Popular in the 90s. And that's all I knew about them. I never knew anything else about them. But then in later years, I started digging into Nata Surf, and I love them. I went to see them live and all this shit. I'm like, God damn it, what a great band. But it's that, I don't know, what's, what would you call it? It's just such a strange blessing and a curse to have a big one-hit wonder because it does completely dwarf and obscure the rest of your catalog, you know? It's like, who can even pay attention to the rest of what you've done? in the face of this one giant hit. Devo's like that too with Whip It. So it's a shame that there's all these other songs people don't pay attention to. But on the other hand, if you didn't have Whip It, if you didn't have Popular, if you didn't have Love Fool, would anybody remember you at all? You know, it's 20 years later, 30 years later in Devo's case. I still know all these bands. I'm still digging into them. They're still there. It's easy for me to access their stuff and check it out because they had that big hit. That big hit is like propping up the marionette, you know? It's keeping this fucking enterprise relevant to some extent. <laughs> so it's like, you know, there's a lot of uh, bands in the 90s that didn't have Popular, they didn't have Love Fool, and no one's talking about them anymore, and no one's digging into their back catalog. <laughs> so, so I guess having the one-hit wonder is better than not? It's weird. Anyway, I started digging into the cardigans is the point, and they're fucking awesome. There's so many good cardigan songs. There's a bunch I don't care about, but they got into like a country thing, and that was cool, And but their little like pop rock songs are like the best. They're so good. So this is a song called I Need Some Fine Wine and You, You Need To Be Nicer, and it's just the best. What a great song. Like it's, let me just ramble about music a little more. It also makes me think of Blur. You know, Blur in America, their big hit was uh, Song 2. But before that, in England, they had Girls and Boys. And they were, you know, like a, a pop band, kind of. It's like, here's these cute boys doing poppy music. And uh, at the shows, it was mostly girls. And I remember their guitarist, Graham Coxon, he's like, okay, we got all these girls here. And that's cool. Our band's doing well. We're selling records, we're doing shows, I can't complain. But I'm a music nerd and I want people to recognize the cool shit that we're doing and like the cool shit in our songs that's not just generic pop. 
So he would always look toward the back of the room, you know, and he'd be like, all right, here's all the girls in the front of the room. But at the back of the room, that's where you get the music nerds that are just leaning against the back wall and just nodding their heads. And that's who he would focus on. He's like, yeah, look at those fucking nerds back there. They see it. They recognize it. They see that we're doing something cool here, that we're not just a shitty pop band. We got this other stuff going on. And that's totally how I feel about the Cardigans is like, this song, it's so catchy and so good, but it's so awesome. Like, it's so weird. It's like starts with this little slide hook. And then even just right away, the vocals come in on an offbeat. They come in at the wrong time. It's such a cool song. So here's I Need Some Fine Wine and You, You Need To Be Nicer by The Cardigans. Thanks again for listening to my ramblings. I hope everything is going okay wherever you are. Though the correspondence I've gotten so far is that this dude Adam from the UK emailed me. He's just like, hey buddy, are you doing okay? Because here in the, uh, here in the UK, man, fucking, we're only allowed to leave the house. I think he said it's like, you know, if you're going to get food or you're allowed to leave the house once a day for exercise reasons. And it's like, even that level of being locked down is just not how it is here. But in the bigger cities, it's getting there. It's like, you fucking people gotta lock yourself down, man. But yeah, again, I'm just in beautiful nowhere New Brunswick. Shitsville has become golden Shitsville because I'm just left to my own devices. I'm out here. Again, there's nobody here. Nobody. You know? I'm in one of these nice rare parts of the world where I can just go outside and it's fine because nobody's here anyway. Whew, thank God for that. Here's the cardigan. See you next time.
in the bad times that we had.